0: Well, I'm excited to be pivoting to a show about just, like, basic (laughs) self-maintenance. Like, a minute ago, you were asking me how do I get dressed? Well, I believe was <laughs> I believe the direct question. Well, so, so, um, so
1: it's Monday morning, okay? Yeah. yeah. It is. Well, Which it, is a
0: day when most Americans go to work.
1: That's true. Let's just put some. Um, and I woke up early this morning. Uh-huh. I let the dog out. I yeah. fed her. Um, I made myself a nice cup of tea and turned on my electric fireplace that produces with, no when, heat. What time? What do these uh, things happen? Well, her food song goes off at about seven thirty. Oh my so, god. So oh,
0: you're giving me you're giving me hives already.
1: So I think I was in the chair with tea at like seven forty five. Uh-huh. And I was like, Man, this is great. I'm gonna read the I'm gonna continue reading this client manuscript. Yeah. And so I was sitting there in my jam in my gym jams, like uh-huh. with a cat on my lap, drinking tea, working Monday morning, and then before I know it, it was eleven AM. Yep. And I had not gotten dressed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so my question to you is, as somebody who's worked from home for a long time, how does one get dressed?
0: Wow. And how does one Um,
1: remain very comfortable and yet casually elegant while remaining productive?
0: Welcome (laughs) to this episode of Print Run, um... The theme here this week, folks, um, is going to be well. We're going to talk about all sorts of work-life balance things. Uh, we're going to talk about Laura's recent transition. But um, I should finish the welcome. Uh, my name is Eric Kane. With me, as always, Laura Zatz, newly from home, looking great. Um, say hello, Laura.
1: Hello, Laura.
0: Um. Yeah. So we're going to be talking today about a recent transition that happened in my friend and yours, Laura Zatz's life. Um, she is now. Um, she does not. She no longer has a separate full time job. That's true. Um, she's now working purely as an agent, as a dirt bag podcaster, um, <laughs> as all the things you know her and love her for. Uh, we're going to get into that because I do think that there are some bigger issues there related to um, not My only
1: clothing choices, <laughs> yeah,
0: um, not only work life balance, but also just like the taboo around second jobs and publishing around um, how just around. The way this industry is structured, all that kind of stuff. We're gonna get into that before we get into any of that. How about the basic rundown?
1: Absolutely. Um. So now that I am a work from home kid, that means stay that at home
0: dog mom. Stay, yes. I'm a stay
1: at home dog mom, just like me. Yep. Um. <laughs> Eric is the best stay at home dog mom. He like walks his dog three times a day.
0: Yeah. How many times? You don't. What? How many times do you walk your dog?
1: Like in the summer, like three, four times a week.
0: And your dog doesn't like rip open the couch or figure out how to open your office door and go in there and chew on the cords. Every or once like, in a while, eat if the we couch. leave the
1: bed door, bedroom doors open, and she hasn't had a play date in three to four days, and also we are not home, then she'll uh-huh. sometimes eat some shoes. Wow! But it's a very like specific set of circumstances that need to be fulfilled before she'll eat a shoe.
0: No, no, the. The, uh, the CEO of my house has made it clear that three walks is necessary um, each day. So <laughs> Anyway,
1: we... um, <laughs> we, we're work from home kids now. Um, so that means that in addition to recording print run in the mornings, um, we will also be theoretically getting mm-hmm. our special episodes to you sooner rather than later. So our, our first ones are coming for you, coming for you. Like like they're they're attacking, mm-hmm. um they're coming for you on Friday and we'll have all of them plus the two we missed last week due to circumstances that we will get into on this episode. We will have those also for you this month.
0: Just real quick, yes. A thing that I think listeners would be interested to hear um, is that oftentimes when we when Laura's doing the rundown, um she often sets public deadlines for things that I, sure I was do. not aware of. Well, we, we are like, recording oh, on Friday. We, are, we decided we're, we're like, recording wow, on man, Friday. We <laughs> are just getting that out there. Eric, huh? we no. literally talked no, about it we talked, 20 minutes ago. I know we talked about it. I know we talked about it 20 minutes ago. You're <laughs> embarrassing us in front of company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, but it's good. It's, Mom it's and good. Dad are fighting. It's good public accountability. Um, and I'm grateful for it and yeah. I like it. That's why I wanted to talk about it on air. Great. Is because I like it. Great. Yeah.
1: Um, in addition, <laughs> in addition, we have a couple of new things that I just wanted to remind yeah. all yeah. of you about. We've created a writer's forum. Mm-hmm. So if you um, are a print run listener or you know, you're you're established in the biz or just hoping to get into it, or you just are, you know, looking for a community or a place to get your questions answered. You can join the forum and kind of the there there are spaces where you're meant to have direct access to us in kind of long form anytime. But there's also a lot of spaces where you can find critique partners or ask for ask for edits on your first pages or on your query letter or about anything else and we've had a pretty awesome group of writers already who are brought together by um, a, a single genre, like go off and create a Slack accountability channel and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's ended up being a pretty cool place. We've got over 200 people there I right now. I think it's now. actually
0: substantially more than that, too. Are we, I think we're closer to 250 or something right so, now. I said over yeah. 200. Well, I just mean like we should correct. give like, no, I mean. Yeah,
1: I haven't checked it. It's a, bit. a good.
0: It actually is a really robust community now. You should definitely join yeah. if you're thinking about it.
1: Um. So if you can't figure out how to join it, that's okay. Just email us at printrunpodcast at com, and we will add you, slash I will add you. Um. In addition, something that makes my skin crawl a little bit to say it out loud, but I feel like we have uh, should mention it anyway, we have a Ko-Fi. Mm-hmm. Which it's it's uh it's like if you are um not really in need of our special Patreon episodes, but you wanna throw some support our way or say thank you for the work that we're doing and help fund all of these other initiatives, you can send us a one time <laughs> money by buying us a super mom's coffee. That's right. Um, so they're in so so the gifts are in three dollar increments. That'll buy you two super mom's coffees. That will. So
0: though frankly Supermom and I, we're on the fritz right now. Really? Um, because one, they refuse to sponsor us, <laughs> and two, I'm a thermos guy now. I've had my me my needs met elsewhere. You
1: know, you can so. bring your thermos to Super America, which is now Speedway, and, and just get go your in Supermom's there coffee. And fill
0: up the thermos and yeah. then just walk out, and they won't see it well, yet. You it's still <laughs>
1: pay. You just aren't using a styrofoam cup. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway. Uh, We would love it if you bought us some coffees. So you can go on to ko-fi.com slash print run and say thank you that way. Okay. Now.
0: So I want to set this up for you a little bit. I want to provide some context um, before. This is going to be an episode that I think largely revolves around um, your recent decision, your recent choice that you made, one that um, I think is very bold, very... Good for all the goals you and I have. I'm a as brave profession. little toaster. You're a brave little toaster, Laura. <laughs> uh, but like before, we get into your specific story. I want to talk a minute about why I think it's so like watershed. Why I think it's so interesting. All these different things. I um, mean, that is so essentially. You decided because you've been up until now always have been an agent, and also you've worked full time elsewhere. Yes. Now, um that is an arrangement that many of our listeners probably hear and think wow i didn't know that about laura or wow that sounds really strange and what i would tell you is that it actually isn't strange um, in that many agents you know are absolutely working other fuller part-time jobs in order to make agenting work right and so that might sound strange but think of the math for a second agenting is a job that is commission-based Right. There's, I mean, I guess there are places that offer salaries, but by and large, it's a position that features mostly just, you know, you get paid when authors get paid, right? You pay when you sell books. And what that means is that it's not a steady paycheck. It's not a um, one until you really get rolling, right? Which it's is a like,
1: significant investment in time yes. until your authors can make you a livable wage.
0: Now, what it also is, so that makes sense. And anyone in a vacuum, it would say, okay, so you do that. And then you also do some other work alongside it so that you can make the whole operation tick until agenting is mm-hmm. rolling at the level you'd like it to. But agenting, as part of the literary establishment, as part of publishing in the way it likes to see itself, involves lots of notions of what I would call like professional class prestige. If explain, that make...
1: explain what you yeah, mean Yeah, well, that. what I
0: mean is like it's considered a fancy job. You know what I mean? Like when you think of when people picture, I mean, maybe not now, but there was a time when the literary agent was someone you saw as like a mover and shaker in high society New York or literary society New York, you know, someone who knew everyone was at all the cool parties was, you know, always there in the, you know, the nice sweater drinking the cocktail. You know what I mean? Like it's a position that I think carries with it a lot of like a lot of imagery you know what i mean and what that means and that still i think is largely true in a lot of circles and what that means is that when we when the reality no longer fits that which is to say that lots and lots of people have to do things like work unrelated jobs outside the industry just in order to afford being a literary agent or things like that the incentive becomes to keep that quiet right because
1: you don't want to tarnish the shiny prestige that you get that you feel like you want to maintain because you want to attract good authors
0: so let yeah so let's game that out for a second let's say that i'm trying to and i do and so let's not say let's really look at examples from my life and your life and and many other agents you know and love and see online like if i'm talking to someone on the phone an author that whose manuscript i loved and i'm trying to convince them we're having the call right and i'm trying to convince them to sign like, one thing I'm not going to do is talk about how much time I spend on my other job, right? <laughs> no, for a multiple, multitude of reasons. One, because it suggests that I'm, a lot of my time is spent elsewhere. And two, because it's not probably what they are picturing as a literary agent doing. And three, because who knows if they're talking to a different agent who, for whatever reason, maybe they're at a salaried position or maybe they're someone who doesn't necessarily have to – Afford their own life for a variety of reasons we can all name. Like, maybe they're dealing with some... They're, my competition in this little beauty contest mm-hmm. is someone who who is working full-time. And so you can see how it's... And I remember we did an episode very early in the show with Jess Mm-hmm And we talked a little bit about this, right? Like, we talked about that shame in working more. And we're going to talk about that yep. in a minute. But, like, the point is that... The second job in publishing, whether it's – and I know that we hear it. I think mo- most people at this point understand that, like, lots of writers do other things. I still think that many writers are embarrassed to talk – incorrectly, by the way. Like, there's no – nothing wrong with yeah. it. Everyone is doing it. But lots of writers, like, feel a little bit, like, sheepish about talking about the other work they have to do in order to be a writer, even, like, established, published ones. Um but that stigma really exists in the aging world. And so I want to loop that back around now, Laura, to your life. Yes. To your recent decision after and just talk <laughs> us through what made you decide now is the good now is a good time to to just dive headlong into it. You know what I mean? Like to to do the thing.
1: Yeah. Um so I think I think to really start with that, I I should go into a little bit deeper of a personal history, like, seven, eight years ago. Um, so I, like most white agents, um, was an English major or a creative, creative writing major. I was an English major, um... And I, I'm really, really lucky that I come from a family of successful artists. Um, so I have people in my family who are professional musicians, people in my family who are professional writers, people in my family who work work in um, magazine publishing, um, people who work in film. And so I, even though I um, always needed to kind of pay my own way and needed to have multiple jobs, I had the really great privilege of getting started in what I consider to be my my dream career, my forever career, really early because I was never told, Oh, you wanna go into book publishing? Good luck. Because I have this entire family history of people being Good and successful artists. Other
0: people who make irresponsible life choices, in right.
1: but being really successful <laughs> right, 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 at it, right? right. right. Totally, yeah. So, um, <laughs> so, so in that case, you know, I had I had a lot of support. I never really needed to kind of justify it or whatever. So I jumped into it and I did it. Um, when I graduated from college, I well, I should actually mention that when I was in college, I also had the great luck. I'm not even going to call it privilege. It was luck. Um, to land several different publishing internships before I even graduated. So I already kind of was a step ahead because again, publishing in general, not just agenting, but publishing in general is an apprenticeship based industry. Um, So I had, I think, uh, three publishing internships by the time I graduated. And I had decided at that point, like publishing is it for me. I thought I was gonna be in house. Um, But I I didn't really know. I just thought that kind of that developmental um, career shaping sort of aspect of things was really interesting. Um, And at that time, I was looking for I wasn't quite experienced enough to get to get a full job and I couldn't afford to move to New York City. So I stayed in what I'm also very lucky is my hometown, um, which is the Twin Cities and which is a great publishing town. Yep. See, you see you see already that there's so much luck here. Um. Yeah. yeah. And I I landed two different internships. One was with Red Sofa Literary, um which is the agency Eric and I were both at for many years, and the agency where we both got our starts, and another was with a startup partner publishing or hybrid publishing company called Wise Inc Creative Publishing. Mm-hmm. Um and I so I took both internships cuz both were part-time, both were unpaid. Even though both started to make me money right away, and we can kind of go into that a little bit. Um, so I I started at both of these places, and functionally I never left either. So eventually um, I helped Wise Inc. as which is was my day job, mm-hmm. grow from a startup to a million dollar company, and w- that I was the vice president of. Yeah, and I I would like to going back to the shame thing. Yeah. Um. I've always like I, I think, I think shame is also really complex in this thing because a lot of people who are working in publishing and working in, as agents, their most marketable and valuable skill is in the industry that they're working in, right? Yeah. So well, me, yeah,
0: that's something I want to talk <laughs> right, about
1: too. So so writing, publishing, etc., was my most marketable skill, and my day job was in the self-publishing realm. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I felt that as an agent I couldn't talk about my second job is because it gets really thorny ethically. As an agent to say this job over here where I'm making money mm-hmm. um and where we're charging money for services, that's a that like I didn't want to like tele- telegraph that that was a way to get to me as an agent.
0: Well, and so I I do want to talk about that for a second yeah. because like it's ethically interesting interesting is wrong word it's ethically compromised if yes. people really are using a different avenue where they can pay to enter as a means of accessing you the agent right but what you've done and what you've always done as someone who is an ethical person and an ethical agent <laughs> is make it very clear that those things are absolutely separate that it's not actually a way made, into you as an agent yes, like if i've taken they,
1: money from you as an editor or i've helped you publish your book I feel uncomfortably, from an ethical standpoint, representing you as an agent. Well,
0: it's not even about feeling. You just don't do it. Yeah, I'm, just, you don't, yeah, like, I'm not going to do it. Like, and that's so, like, thinking about, um, like, my route into agenting. Mm-hmm. Like, I, so I left. Um, I was a traditional, I was a, I've i been in traditional publishing my whole career, but I was an editor in-house and didn't like it and decided, all right, I'm going to do something else. I'm going to leave New York um, I'm gonna go to a good book city but a cheaper book city, Minneapolis. Um, and in the meantime, to pay bills, um, I'm going to freelance edit for freelance edit for presses. And so what I did was it was less on the individual level. like so there was less ethical stuff leaning in, but more like you know presses would hire me to copy edit or proofread yes. or even you know developmental edit when it was available, though that's less frequent. Like I was a freelance editor, right? And that's still, still, yeah, no, and to be clear, um, what's still what I do to this day, but I think the difference in what I have and what a lot of people have who are staring down, you know, the steady paycheck versus the agenting life is because I was freelance, Mm -hmm. I've had the ability to scale my hours, right? Like I've been able to you know, as agenting has picked up, and lately, blessedly, it has. Like, things are <laughs> things are going well right now. The podcast is going well. Agenting is, like, these things are working. I've been able to do less freelance editing, right? And I've been able to incrementally drop it rather than having to do what you just did, which right. is work, which is to make sort of the night and day call, should I continue to go to this full-time job or right. not, you know?
1: And, and and to kind of come come back to my story. Yeah. Like, I was you know, it was the two founders and me who was at this company, and we built it to this really, really, really big thing. i I learned and a lot of a lot of the ideas and a lot of the things that have turned into print run and have turned into headwater like came from that job. And it's actually like a job that I still today love. and it was yeah. also a job that was paying me really well, yeah. um, and so I had always said, that like and this was years and years and years ago when I was doing both and you know both places started to started to to pay um but I always said I was like yeah I'm just going to like keep doing both things until one of them is paying me enough that I won't have to do the other but the problem is is saying that when you're 23 is a lot different than saying that when you're 30 right right yeah. and so the what happened is like I built a life around yeah. doing these two jobs. Right. right? Like right. even as my income for both jobs grew right. and my expertise grew and the quality of what I was doing grew, I also did things like got married and got a dog and <laughs> developed hobbies. That classic like... <laughs>
0: professional decision. I know to and, get a dog.
1: and and like truly it it was, um, you know, it was really one of one of those things where I, I just I'm remembering this day really, really crystal clear. Like when I graduated college, I was I was 22, almost 23. And I was, you know, hip deep already into publishing. And I kind of until I could make ends meet with with just the the agenting right. and, and and Wise Inc., I did some freelancing. I did all this stuff, and I was just really, really honing these individual skills. Right. 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 Like I have not worked outside of publishing since 2011. Right. Um,
0: so how long have you? How long have you been an agent?
1: Uh, I've been an agent since November 2013. Yeah. Um, but I haven't worked outside of publishing since 2011. And because of all of the hustling and the side gigs and all of that I was doing, and I remember this very clearly, I moved back to the city and most of the people that I knew when I was living here full time, I didn't, I weren't here anymore. And I just didn't have a lot going for me. I wasn't dating anybody. I wasn't, um, like, I just, I just didn't have friends. I didn't, whatever. And I remember I moved into this apartment that I couldn't afford, um, but it was totally worth it because I ended up meeting my husband who lived down the hall. Um, but I, I was living in this apartment that was this incredible apartment I couldn't afford. I was working from home, doing a million different things, trying to, like, make 200 bucks here and, you know, 100 bucks there. And um, I woke up and I was working and I was having a really good day at work. And, you know, eventually it came time to go to bed. And I went to bed and I just remember laying there thinking I am so tired and I didn't even do anything today but then I looked at the clock and I realized that I had been working for 14 hours straight yeah and the thing is is like that is eminently doable when you are 23 and when you're almost 30 or you know you you have <coughs> things in your life you know yep. your life expands right yep. your life grows you make you make a life yep. all of a sudden you can't work for 14 hours anymore.
0: And so I want to I wanna take that specific concept, the just raw amount of, mm-hmm. like, and this is something, so just to, to get wider again here, nearly every agent you know is doing something, some version of this math, right? And editor. They, yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, they are all, like, I've done it, you've done it, everyone who is trying to make it in this field that isn't at one of a few handful of very, you know, kind of established agencies is, you know, is doing this version of, you know, working the agenting life, trying to get their commissions up, trying to get, you know, their foothold in while also doing another job um, that may or may not be in publishing, that may or may not be related to anything they're doing, that may involve a certain amount of work or whatever. But people are working themselves to the bone in publishing. And it's, I think it intersects really interestingly With this concept that we see a lot of, which is this need to project that you're always busy, right? (laughs) Like, so one thing that you see a lot of, and this really, this is a personal pet peeve of mine. So I hope that this, I'm not like stepping on anyone's toes here. But like, I don't like the overwork the broadcast of overwork culture and publishing I think that as a virtue signal I think it's a virtue I think that it's bad I think it's bad for all of us in a way like when people are like oh I man I'm just working all I do is is work and all I you know the only thing I ever do is you know edit and do these things and I just that's just how it is like and you sort of glorify it in a way that one I'm
1: editing on a Saturday night
0: well one yeah exactly one it suggests that it's like it, you, you know you're you're doing it to broadcast that you are a good studious hard worker Mm -hmm. right but you're also what the residual effect is that it normalizes that and i would hope that we could all agree that everyone in publishing and no one has this right now but everyone in publishing deserves work-life balance you know what i mean like i don't I'll, i'll just say it you know what fine i don't think it's virtuous to work that many like I don't think it's I think it's morally neutral to work that much I think <laughs> that it doesn't make you better it doesn't make you it just means it's just the certain you know what I mean like it's not a like to me it's a problem to address like when I hear people talking like that I'm like we should change this industry so that you don't have to do that
1: and it's ridiculous you know? because like publishing in general but agenting in particular is a scalable job
0: yes exactly
1: like that's the thing like you can <clears throat> work this job for five hours a week and have, you know, a couple of good clients. Right. And and you're just as much of an agent as somebody who works 80 hours a week.
0: But so here's, so this is the interesting perception-based paradox of that glorification of, like, constant work that I think happens in publishing, which is that, The other, It pairs with this fact that no one in agenting is willing to talk about their other job. (laughs) And so actually what you have is the rare situation where people are underselling how much work they're doing because some of it isn't directly related to agenting. Like it's – you have two almost incongruent things. You have a culture that loves to talk about how busy we are as a means of like broadcasting one's own productivity or importance or whatever it is. And you have – also a whole field that refuses to talk about the fact that we're all working like 20 to 30 to 40 hours on something totally unrelated in order to make this first thing work and my point is like let's talk way less about how we're how like good it is that we're working all this time on agenting stuff and way more on how much we all have to do in order to even afford agenting like think about what might change you know what i mean like if people were just like hey this is basically a field that is completely unfeasible on its own. Like, it is. Like, I mean, I'm sorry if that sounds ridiculous. But, like, what percentage of, like, agents – like, I don't even know. I guess I don't even know what the number is. Like, what percentage of agents are full-time agents only?
1: I don't know. All I you know is that – You would lose a huge
0: chunk yeah. if it, if you, you said that agenting could only happen on a full-time agent. And then my point is, like – Let's get to a place where we're speaking transparently with the fact that many people are doing what you just did. And like we we put out a thing the other day because, you know, we were supposed to record last week and we just we simply couldn't like I came I even came over. You did. And I sat down and we were just burned out yeah. and it just didn't work. And we were just like we I actually what, what we ended up saying was that this is a podcast that stems from conversations you and I have about... but It's what it's always been. This is a show that springs forth from the fact that you and I are constantly talking about the industry and and books and whatever other writing-related thing. And what we realized is that, like, over the course of the last week, since the last time we recorded, we just hadn't had any conversations. No, we
1: had nothing to go off of. Because we had been
0: swamped with other things. And so it was like we could fake it or we could just be honest with ourselves. We could just assess the situation for what it is and we could then make a show out of what as like we were staring down an actual industry issue that like <laughs> you and I deal with this but everyone it, like i'm telling you right now that every like so not i won't say every and it it may not even be most but a huge chunk a huge chunk of agents that you know are working other jobs right now and there is absolutely not like on an individual behavior level, they probably feel they don't want to talk about it, you know, because it sounds like you're not a real agent. But it's just not true at all. And in fact, like it needs to be something that we do de- not only destigmatize, but actually push against. Yeah. Because of all the structural issues we talk about, and all the people who get to be agents and all the people who can afford to work in the industry, you know?
1: And now, so like this is my sixth day. Yeah being you know my own day job right like with headwater as my as my day job and um so i i just kind of want to like take all of you through exactly what happened yeah um so as as you know, both Eric and I got married not to each other. Um, we got married, at which the end like of confuses
0: some of you. Well, and it was knock within it two
1: weeks of each other. <laughs> like, come <Yeah>. on! <laughs> and we got yeah. engaged within one month of each other, and we bought yeah. a house within three months of each other. Yeah. Yeah. We're just on a very strange parallel timeline. Yeah. Um. But we both got married, and you know, like that is something to settle into. We both got jaw, like we both got dogs. That's something to settle into. And just kind of like my life grew. And so what that meant is even I was like a really, really deep editorial agent and I was signing people left and right when I first started and was like full of energy. And then as my life got bigger and my day job got bigger, because again, grew into an over million dollar company where i became the vice president and had people working under me and had management managerial duties and that sort of thing yeah. like that grew in a way that tested a lot of my my creativity and my my mental power and all of that in really exciting very valuable ways. Well at
0: this point you have two full-fledged careers.
1: Right. And i had, I had in, two careers and no i had and yeah. i had a life and yeah. So, what what I found I was doing is I very often, like, I became the type of agent I didn't really want to become. And I don't want to say that I was, like, a bad agent. I just was no longer. You weren't you. I wasn't me. I wasn't me. So, like, there are a lot of good agents out there Mm -hmm. who aren't, you know, like, doing eight rounds of developmental editing and doing all this other stuff and they're very good and they're selling their books and they're doing their jobs and I was still doing all of that I just wasn't like I had signed people with the understanding that we were going to be in a certain level of communication that this like Mm -hmm. like that the working style was going to be different and just by virtue of my life changing it was difficult to maintain that it was difficult to maintain it and i ended up not doing it and taking into account you know things like donald trump being elected and you know (laughs) like my depression coming up and seasonal effectiveness like all this stuff right like the whole point is that i simply ran out of hours and energy to be the type of agent that i want to be and and i think that the type of agent i want to be is is probably pretty clear based on the conversations we have on this podcast but i was just i was i was just one of those like established like i'm gonna sell the books and you're kind of on your own with the writing which i never wanted to be and
0: it's not what we who we are as a company no it's not
1: who we are as a company and what happened is like if i'm being completely honest i i in a lot of ways was lying to myself about yeah. how deep I had slid into that yeah. different type of agenting. Yep. And then what happened, and I am going to be grateful to this writer forever, but this writer whom, whose work I absolutely love, who I very much enjoy working with, basically like pulled the plug and yeah. was like, our relationship isn't working anymore. Like I'm leaving. Mm-hmm. And... I completely understood it, and it's a bummer because I love this this author's writing, and I, you know, I hope they still think it's things about well. me. We wish them well, yeah. And we it, wish them super well, and, like, I'm, I'm really excited to see who they end up signing with, but this author was like, this isn't what I signed up for anymore. Like, yeah. you're selling the books, yeah. but, like, I want, a, I want more of kind of an editorial partner. I want more, yeah. I want something else. And in that moment, like I, I got the email where and you know, to be clear, this is this is a point where I say, for those of you listening, it is completely business as usual for people to leave their agents. Yeah. Or for agents to stop working with a writer. Or, Absolutely. like this is completely like normal. This is not like this is the first time this ever happened. No, no, to no. no. Or this anything. is a thing
0: that happens in the industry all the time. It's, it's totally, just interesting yes. how it affects you. So,
1: yeah. so yeah. And so this is hap- like whatever. Right. This 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 is part of doing business. And so but something about this particular moment is I, you know, I I reflected a little bit on our working relationship and I realized, oh, wait, I don't have the like I I just I can't do both of these things anymore. So the idea uh, to re- to recap had always been keep doing this other thing until I am making enough money or I'm successful enough or whatever that means. I didn't really have a marker in place um, till I have enough to, to, to agent full-time. But the problem is, is I loved this other job. I loved the people I was working with. I got really used to the money and the benefits. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, all of this stuff happened. Um, and then I had a wake-up call. Yeah. And so I made that decision. Actually, I made that decision in the morning. I mm-hmm. told you, Eric, immediately and we ended up like going out for happy hour later that night to kind of like process emotionally and talk about the next steps and what that would look like and all of that. And we decided I was going to kind of because this was an immediate, like it there was no hemming and hawing. There was it was mm-hmm. just I woke up in the morning, I got that note, and I said, Oh, I'm leaving.
0: Well, and so I wanna talk for a second about yes. the like the factors that let you get to that point because like it's a couple things one you're how many years into your agenting career seven you know what i mean yeah. like things are working things right are working. you're a good agent i, I don't have... know if that's it i don't know if people listening to this understand <laughs> that laura is really really good at her job like i learn something when i have every the day. time to do it right exactly so and it's apart from that you know you've got you have a podcast that brings in some money it does bring in then. some money. Um, I, what is it? Print, print run? run? Just Print Run?
1: I think it's Print Run or Print Run Podcast. Uh. <laughs> um, if you just Google Print print Run on Patreon. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, like, it's also really worth mentioning that my, my spouse, who when we met was super broke, just like I was. He's a musician. He, a couple of years ago, got this incredible opportunity that was 10 years in the making, where now he has a really lucrative career making music. And so to the point where, like, we're doing fine, right? And we live in a house that is well below our means. And, you know, we – so I I had this cushion all of a sudden that I had never have, had before where it's, like, if I want to invest in this – and, like, my husband is also an artist, so he – if, like, he believes in that, right? Like, he believes that I can do it. He believes that I can build it. And he is, you know, kind of willing to take on – um, a little bit more of of the of the financial burden of our lives now and is totally willing to push back kind of some financial markers or goals a few years to let me do this because if I don't do this now I'm not going to. And mm-hmm. so like I have a structure in place that made this something where it just realized, "Oh, I'm doing this." Not trying to hem and haw and I you know, I still did a budget and I did all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, so I, I made this decision and it's also worth mentioning that I still, like, it wasn't something that could happen right away. Like I looked at my finances and I was like, okay, I need to work at least for six more weeks. Yeah. What are those six weeks going to look like? What does that look like? And then two weeks after I decided that I was leaving, um, and right after I had told my bosses, um, Nick fell. And he essentially shattered his ankle. Mm-hmm. And and all of a sudden I became a caretaker. And so I, you know, I'm internally grateful to my bosses at Wise Inc. for seeing that kind of as as like the sign that it was and saying, Oh, like I know that you want to help us like get sorted and pushed pushed into the year and kind of not giving any of us more work. Um, and trying to, you know, my my intention was with that six weeks to like really close out my projects and, and, to, and to really not burden my colleagues yeah. um, and to allow for that transition sure. to make it not traumatic for my coworkers. But then, you know, we had this traumatic medical event at home and all of a sudden I couldn't be there anymore. So they were brave enough and they, you know, they were, you know, cared for me enough to say, why don't you just be done next week? Like finish up, do as much as you can to turn it over. And then, you know, you can be home and you can be making sure that Nick is like fed and stuff and like taking his medication <laughs> and like going to the hospital yeah. for his surgeries. Yeah. Um and so that's that it happened sooner. Um, but even so I'm six days in mm-hmm. and I got more done last week yeah. than I had done yeah. in like the past month. Yeah. And like i i woke up this morning monday morning and i i started work before 9am and i was excited to yep. i didn't feel a pressing dread checking yep. my email yep yeah like yep. all of these things all of these things are good like is this what is this what like a not, like being not guilty in the slight life <laughs> like work life balance looks like
0: i must i mean i so like i said like my we're, we're not going to get into everything i do but like in a nutshell, I mean, I you know, I freelance at it to the degree I need to on months yeah. where agenting isn't paying as much. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's flexible, right? And that's kind of the thing. It's like I'll I'll never have to make that
1: – Choice. That
0: big, giant, on-or-off choice with a full-time job because I can just take or – I can take on or decline a steady stream of freelance projects as I need them, you know, from presses, from other people, like, you know, as it relates. And so, like – but what you're describing, yeah, it's like when – on a given month when agenting really does pay all my bills and that's all I have to focus on, it is remarkable <laughs> how much better I am at it, how much more you, I can focus on how good you it. feel. And, and, like, let's just keep in mind for a second that you and I are not describing a hobby. We're describing a job. Like, yes. all of this work to in order just to do a job. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. not as though this is some frivolous thing. This is a necessary cog in an industry. And it's like... Surely there has to be a better way to organize. Or, you know, I just I get frustrated knowing, especially like when you think for even five seconds about like who can't swing this stuff and like who, you know, doesn't have the leeway, you know, to make these things work. And it's like this is it. This is where the rubber there's meets a, the road on that. stuff. There's a and, lot
1: of things that had to come together yeah for me to first of all do this job, but second of all, to be able to leave right now yeah. when it called for it because yeah. I like you know I realized a little bit late I'm a little slow on the uptake, but I did realize you know with with some time to spare that i i I was on a path that was diverging, and I had to pick one and you know like it's one of those it's a very it was like a very joyful moment because i i i very much you know loved both paths but i i've spent 7 years building this yeah. thing on my own and now i'm building it with eric right and it it kind of like and i i am very i hope a lot of people are like this but um, I think I think a lot of agents will have to be like this. But, like, I, I get a lot of joy <laughs> and mental stimulation from challenging to see what I can make from nothing. That's kind right. of what Print Run is. That's, that's what definitely we, it's what Headwater is. I mean,
0: that's what we do, yeah. And
1: so, like, that was kind of the same thing with leaving Red Sofa. Like, we left yeah. not because there was a problem with Red Sofa, but because we said, well, what can we make now?
0: You know what it is? And this is honest as we'll ever be agenting is hard in terms of structural stuff like it's mm-hmm. a difficult thing to swing and it's like if we're going to take on that challenge if we're going to do you know, if we're going to do this stuff and try to make a real living out of it we're going to do it on our terms yeah you know what i mean like we're going to do this in the manner and the ways in which we think are right and we're going to you know if we're already Like if our fate already like hangs in the balance and by a thread, we're going to be the one steering, you know what I mean? Like, and so it's, yeah, I mean, that's just, and here we are, you know what I mean? Like we're doing it and we're, it's going to, it's going to continue to improve and because we're both working at it and I'm going to be able to take on less freelancing and you're going to be able to, you know, ramp up and like, it's, (laughs) it's, it is what it is. I mean, we're going to, we're going to make it work just like anyone, like And we tell this not because we really want to talk about ourselves because I assure you that anyone, any writer listening to this, any agent you're, like, thinking of querying, paying attention to, whatever it is, is doing some version of this math. Yes. They absolutely are. Always. Every single day they are doing this math. They are figuring it out. What's the balance? How can I swing it? How can I do more agenting? And so, like, it's – and I just think, like, such a key part is de-stigmatizing. Yeah the part where everyone is having to make the math work like for some reason publishing i guess i won't say for some reason because the reasons aren't patently obvious but like people are so hesitant to talk about the math and it's like <laughs> well, no no no, we don't
1: do math Eric. we
0: have to talk about it because that's <laughs> the only way it's ever going to change that's the only way there's ever going to be any yeah. transparency there's the only way it's ever going to be something that we all can kind of come together and make work, and so
1: and there. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that like I, looking back on this. I mean, I'm only six days out, but yeah. really looking back on it, I really don't think that I would really change anything because having that kind of unintentional scale down of that highly developmental kind of um, commissioning style agent that that I was at the beginning and I hope to be again this year um what that allowed me to do is is really exciting things with my authors like i've got um comic books in the works now yeah. i'm doing ip which is kind of work for hire yeah. with a lot of my with a lot of my authors so like there there are ways to you know there are areas of agenting that i really jumped into or really kind of found my footing given the circumstances that i had around me and so now i'm coming into this with more time more energy but also knowledge about those types of things whereas if i you know had been a full-time you know completely well-rounded and well-adjusted agent this whole time probably would have kind of written things like ip off yeah um but you know i'm yeah so i i think I think um when I first when I first quit uh, you know and some of it I have to admit is definitely um it was definitely like fatigue from caregiving and a lot of like yeah. stress in that sure. manner um but I you know my first instinct was not to talk about this
0: yeah because the, we're all trained not to talk about it
1: and and like you know You and I were doing three jobs. We were doing print run. We were doing agenting. And then, you know, you had your freelancing. I had I had my other publishing job and and we kept those separated because and I think I didn't want to talk about it because print run our expertise, theoretically, this is not true, but like our expertise comes from being agents, Mm. whereas really like our expertise comes from like paying attention to news and critical thinking Um, and like having recording equipment. But I, I think, there you know, I read a thread on Twitter about somebody who was formerly an agent and for all of the reasons we just kind of talked about, figured out and was brave enough to realize that agenting was not for her and really, like, mm-hmm. what she needed to do was editing. Right. Um, and after that, you know, like, I think about people who aren't as lucky, e- either in their family circumstances or their financial circumstances or in their educational circumstances as me, And thinking about, you know, I don't know if I can be an agent or I don't know if I should apply for that job because I have to work at this, you know, this other thing or I'm a barista at this coffee shop or I'm a bartender on the weekends. And so they're limiting themselves because there is that idea. Yeah. And six days into full-time agenting, that's bullshit. I think think that's the big thing. And so in terms of... Writers who are listening to this, I hope many of you are heartened with regards to work-life balance and the the time you're investing in your own careers, but I hope that that also kind of feeds into to how you're thinking about your agent and what you want from them. You know, like fundamentally, be really honest with yourself about the type of agent that you want, the type of work that you want, and if... Some of that changes. there's there's probably good reasons why. And it's, yep. you know, and that's just what happens.
0: I'm thinking now of like that stigma of how reluctant anyone is to talk about the math and how like so often it just doesn't line up and how like I think even when publishing is your full-time job, how it sometimes doesn't even work for the people you're working for. like, I remember when I was an editorial assistant, my first year working there. they sent me. Uh, They sent me to a conference in Washington, D.C., and the rules there, like, they wouldn't give um, editorial assistance, um, like, we didn't have access to, like, company cards or anything like that. We had to, you know, make our own arrangements and get reimbursed reimbursed weeks later. Now, the problem with traveling to and booking hotels and travel and food in Washington, D.C., is that it's a lot of money, and I I didn't have it. And I remember, like, you know, I'm trying to make this work, and, like, I asked if they could give me the card. I, like, tried very hard to um, –
1: Get the card.
0: Just get the card. And I was, like, trying to be as honest as I could. I was, like, look, I don't – like, I don't know what you think I've got, but I don't have enough to front the money. And I know, like – I can't start carry
1: this on my credit card I know, for two months. Because
0: I know that lots and lots of people are dealing with this crap who work in these kinds of jobs. But like they sent me to a thing and I blew through what was in my checking account to pay for it. And you do that. You make that kind of calculus because it's like you don't want to get fired. You don't want to ruffle your boss. There's my first year there. You don't want to do any of that. And it, plus they're going to reimburse you at some point. You just got to hold on until But are they paying then.
1: for your credit card interest? And
0: like then, yeah, no, I not only, it's not even about interest. I maxed it out. <gasps> and Oof. they, so at this point, like, in order to pay for the hotel, like, I had to, like, I was through it. I was incapable of spending any more money. You know what I mean? Like, not even fake money, not even credit, not even anything. And I'm sitting there, and then I'm emailing my boss. And I remember having to essentially beg my, um, the I was an editorial assistant, the editor that I was working for. I had to basically say, I'm out of options. I need you to put this next night of rooms on your card, and you need to, and so that you can get reimbursed for it. Because like he's, you know, which isn't such a big deal. You wouldn't think because he's getting reimbursed for it too, you know. But like, I remember having to ask that, and I remember having to apologize for that to him because you felt like you needed
1: to apologize, or he made because.
0: And I remember being told, "Yeah, let's just not have this happen again." Was what I was told. And it's like. Have what happen again, man?
1: Like You're paying me me, $27,000 a (laughs) year I live in New York City.
0: I am paying to go to work. You know what I mean? It's crazy. And it's just – but, like, you can't – the amount of – in a sane industry, in an industry where labor had any power, which ours is not, you would be able to look at that and simply flatly refuse and say, no, this is crazy. I'm not doing that. You can pay – if you want me to go somewhere, you can pay for it first instead of having me like do this thing. And that would be the end of the story. But that isn't what happens. And, and on top of that, having to talk about it and having to like do that negotiate, it puts you you know, it doesn't make your boss happy, it doesn't make your publisher happy. It doesn't make it get, puts you at a disadvantage professionally because you're not someone. And I know like when we had that episode like, I'm tempted to go back and listen to it myself but with uh, Jessica Simsheimer, Like, she talked a lot about, you know, the shame in having to talk to other agents who would tell her things like, well, if you valued your career, you would make this sort of upfront investment and things, and things like that. You know, just these, these lines that are just disgusting to hear. And they're so prevalent. And it's – it just has to change. You know, like, it has to change. And the way it changes, the first step, the very basic first – like, it's not even a step – it's not even taking a step just acknowledge what the problem is and that means talking about our situations you know what i mean like yeah. and i have
1: a very distinct memory of eating my neighbor's like peanut butter filled pretzels for dinner <laughs> one night like, <laughs> cuz well, i didn't have any i didn't have any money and i didn't have any food it's
0: just like i just think that nothing is like the first thing we need to do away with and this is just like you hear the in like political discourse a lot, like the concept of the temporarily embarrassed billionaire, right? Like these people who are, you know, they're poor, they're working class or whatever they are, but they because they believe that any minute now they're going to be rich, they're going to be managerial, they're willing to like vote for, you know, conservative policy or something that favors upper classes even when it hurts them, you know, because soon in their minds they will be a part of that class. And I feel like there is something... That is very similar in publishing, which is like everyone here thinks they're like 15 minutes away from being the prestigious agent in the movie when in reality we would all probably be better off if we just talked about how it's kind of a shit job. And I'm we're all thinking, doing it because, like...
1: I'm even thinking about conferences where you have to pay to go. Yeah. And the really, yeah. like, furtive movement that you as an agent do when you try to, like, look up other agents who are going to this conference that you are paying to go to, by yep, the way. Yep, yep. Things like RWA, which... <laughs> um, yeah. But but things like that or, or like, Worldcon or, like, yeah. any of that. And trying to, like, look up what other agents so you can reach out to them and say, hey, do you want to share a room? Yep. Because you can't afford to do it by yourself. You can barely afford to do that. And then you come into this room and you're like, oh, this other agent at this other agency, I hope they don't mind that I have a loaf of bread and a jar of (laughs) peanut butter.
0: I just think, like, it's so much could happen if people would just display basic amounts of solidarity. Like, if every agent at a conference was like, pay us or none of us go you know what i mean like things like that like that would that's the kind of I stuff mean, that could work you and, and i
1: so it's so this is maybe know. seven years too late but yeah. you and i have started defining the terms at which we appear at conferences
0: yeah that means yeah.
1: that you know like there we've we've talked about this before but there are kind of inherent problems with the pitch setup and it's it's Yeah, so so we do consultations we don't do pitches we require payment you know and and like and we're willing to you know put in added value or extra work and it's just amazing how my income this year will change as opposed to like last year or the year before because i'm simply asking to be paid yes
0: absolutely we have that we've had that happen multiple times this year where we're like (laughs) where we've gotten kind of the typical conference pitch and then yep. instead we've just said actually we're going to need this we're going
1: to need money and, and they s- this is what we <laughs> this is what we're going to do we're willing to do more work yeah. we're willing to speak with but, more people we're willing to do all of this
0: to, yes. yeah, and it has worked it's worked it's, it's i mean and, it's worked
1: and that's the thing is like because you're the added value right like yeah. it's <laughs> it's this whole thing but but that is something where You are actively encouraged in certain agent spheres from doing like the AAR doesn't allow you to make money on conferences, right?
0: Right.
1: And we've done whole episodes about the. We we did do an
0: entire episode on it, but like it's, I don't know. Like the point is, like between your story and many others who have a more difficult, and all the large scale issues that relate to you know the industry as a whole, like. A lot of this starts just by talking about it. A lot of it just starts by like, here is the position I am in. How can we help each other? How can we? Yeah. And, you know, I've, you know, when you announced that you were, you know, when we were talking about it the other day on the internet, like, a lot of other people jumped in. A lot of other agents that we know and are friends with or talked or are like online acquaintances with, like, jumped in and were like, hey, you know, I'm working through something like this, too. And it's like, Yeah. We know you are. Even if we don't know your story, we know that we know conceptually that you are and we want to hear from you and we everyone should want to hear from each other about this stuff. And it's like we can change some of this stuff if we actually know what's going on, you know.
1: Yeah. So I'll I'll kind of leave it with this. Um, Print Run is in a lot of ways has the ability to function as kind of in a, an anonymous um, platform where we can sort of trumpet solidarity or ideas or that sort of thing. So like if you aren't an editor, if you are an agent, if you are a writer and you are struggling with these things... I'd be really, really interested to keep this conversation going, whether it's on the forum, whether it's on these episodes and really kind of talk about it. Because I think that, like we've been saying, the first step is to normalize it. Mm-hmm. Um, so entirely anonymously or not, if you choose, um, you can definitely send us your stories or send us your takes. We're at printrunpodcast at gmail.com. Um, I will definitely be updating all of you on my brand new caftan choices as I become a self-employed lady of leisure. And it's not, there's no leisure. It's (laughs) mostly just reading with a reading manuscript with a cat on my lap. Um, But Eric already has the the market down on cable knit sweater. So I'm going to be finding my own look. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would love, I would love to hear about yours. Um, So with that, I want to thank you. I am uh, really excited for where we're headed and i'm i'm you know i'm really happy that all of you are so welcoming and wonderful enough to to make me feel brave enough to feel comfortable talking about this because it's something that i've been told for you know since 2011 that you don't talk about yep so okay with that thank you and we will see you (laughs) next week
0: bye Thank okay. you.